Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, I ran the numbers on last week's episode. Or I guess this week's episode. I don't know. We don't usually do reaction pods. I refuse to call this an emergency pod because the the a news and emergency that we're reacting to is like to over 12 hours old. So it's yeah. not really. How much of an emergency is it if 911 doesn't show up for 16 hours? <laughs> But I ran the numbers on this week's episode, and I think that I said Carlos Correa's 13-year deal with the Giants 198 times. Mm-hmm. I just that was the whole pod. It was just me talking about Carlos yeah. Correa to the Giants. That, it was the like the one example of like the mega deal that we it used. It was on you know? my mind, you know. Like <laughs> I, know. I had just listened to the Effectively Wild episode talking about interest rates and Carlos Correa's deal, and it was the most recent mega deal signed. And you know what? It was fiction. It didn't matter. It was all fake. Mm-hmm. It's it's sunk through our hands like sand you know it was all gone in just a matter of moments instead Carlos Correa has signed a 12-year deal with the New York Mets with my New York Mets baby let's go Mets love the Mets that's right that's right what uh what happened what happened (laughs) actually you don't even need to tell me what happened we have John Heyman on the phone uh he he heard what we (laughs) said about him and he said I want to come and correct the record bro I I don't know. I don't know. I when I heard the news at you know around midnight last night because I'm out on the West Coast right now. Um, my head was this like, is exactly why the West Coast is the best place to be. You, just, I know. you see everything that happens in a day. Yeah. Nothing happens that you don't see. Yes, literally. Um, my head was like spinning for like a half hour. Like I felt a little dizzy. You know, like it felt like a bit of a, I, you know, it was, it was kind of up late. I'm, my body clock is still a little bit on East Coast time. I was like, am I, is this like a fever dream? You know, because like I see you see the John Heyman tweet and everyone's like, uh, what the fuck is this? And then nothing really happens. Yeah. And you're like, I, was this a John Heyman fever dream? You know that he just tweeted out like I have no idea. Can you imagine if John Heyman just like was sleep tweeting and this was none of this was real? You know, I or- mean, can you imagine if John Heyman just tweeted this for maximum chaos and the Giants didn't even know about this at all and then they just, everything went into effect because John Heyman tweeted it? <laughs> it, w- it would have been pretty incredible if this actually was a dream that Heyman tweeted out and he, and he was 0 for 2 on, on Giants news Massive this offseason. Groundbreaking Giants news, yeah. Right, exactly. I mean, I suppose this one at least would have cut the other way right it doesn't break giants hearts if it's not giants fans hearts if it's not true um but i don't know he needed that redemption john Heyman redemption arc with this one i'm just saying i i have to say a couple things okay first of all we're gonna have grant brisby on the pod in shortly just to do some reaction to this news uh we didn't call up grant brisby just to do reaction to this carlos correa news because that would have been cruel we were already talking to grant brisby for an episode that you're gonna hear uh next week uh, in a fun little mini-series that we're putting together about big baseball what-ifs. And I'm just going to leave it at that um, because it is very digressive and fun and we had a great time talking to Grant. Um, Grant will be coming up on this episode a little bit later. Um, that's the first thing. 
The second thing is that from a Giants perspective, from a Giants organization and fan perspective, you could not script a worse offseason for a team. Like you could, they thought they had Aaron Judge and it was fake. It was fake. They thought they had Carlos Correa and it was real. And then they took it back, you know, and all they ended up with is, you know, more power to him and his stocks and his portfolio. He's going to do great in the Bay Area, but they ended up with Ross Stripling <laughs> and he's not Carlos Correa or Aaron Judge. That's the second thing. The third thing is the Mets. <laughs> Many <laughs> people are it. saying it. That's the, for sure. The, you're hearing it more and more. The New York Mets. Uh, it feels incredibly weird, incredibly fever dreamy. Like it's Steve Cohen's fever dream, really. And we're all just kind of living in it mm-hmm. that they are the team that every free agent gives a call first to like, Hey, do you want me? Cause if you do, I'll come, I'll come play for you. Like this yeah. is not, this is the polar opposite of what the New York Mets have been for my entire life. And I'll be honest, like at the beginning of this off season, I looked around and I said, I want to retain Jacob DeGrom. I think the Mets probably need to retain Brandon Nimmo because there's not an obvious replacement for him for center field. I would love to retain Edwin Diaz because he's a fan favorite and watching him gives me extreme joy every time he comes into the game. And the whole thing with Edwin this past year with the trumpets and him becoming a, a story within the game. All of that was true, but I also was like, you know who's perfect for this team is Carlos Correa. And it's never going to happen because like that's just the kind of fit that is like only ever makes sense on paper but in the real world would never play out. Like him sliding over to third base to play next to his uh Puerto Rico teammate and friend in Francesco Lindor and the Mets are the only team he would slide over to third base for. Like that kind of stuff is just like for lack of a better phrase like that's MLB the show stuff. And with what the Mets are doing and how much money Steve Cohen is committing to payroll and I guess like I should also give credit to, you know, Buck Showalter and the the team from this past year in building a team that seems fun enough for all of these players to come and sign up to be a part of, unless your name is Jacob deGrom, who he wanted to get out of town as fast as possible. Um what the Mets are doing is like breaking the conventions of roster construction to make it appear like a video game. And it's incredibly weird. I mean, it's not entirely different from the way that the Yankees kind of operated throughout the the 90s and 2000s, right? It was yeah. basically like, we have the money, we want to spend it, let's do that, and we're going to win as a result of it, right? Now, obviously, 20 years later, all of those contracts are much bigger, no matter what, you know, what you're signing, right? So what may have been a, an aberration as a $200 million payroll is all of a sudden like a a half billion dollar payroll, which again is still insane to like say out loud. But yeah, he was like playing out of the park and took off the, <laughs> the like owner spending limits. You know, he was like, I just want to have all the money that I can because he kind of already does, right? Like what else is he fucking doing with this 14 billion? Yeah. Buying art? Yeah, you can't take it with Paying you. SEC fines? Like, like you got to have something fun that you're actually doing it. You know, this was like a purchase he made for himself. I love that. And I respect that. You know, like you and me, maybe we buy FIFA 23. <laughs> yeah. We buy ourselves a new t-shirt. But maybe, maybe we'll go all in. We'll buy a new pair of Nikes, you know, 100 bucks, 125 bucks, whatever. Steve Cohen buys New York Mets. You know, that's what he does for fun, for, for retail therapy. And uh, he continues to 
spend and spend and spend on that purchase. I <laughs> maybe it's not even worth getting into the whole discourse over the is this good for the game stuff, especially yeah. since most of it is in bad faith. Like I I retweeted Jarrett Seidler's tweet saying, Where were all these people saying it was bad for the game when the Wilpons got caught up in a Ponzi scheme and tried to use the Mets to recoup their investments for the better part of two decades? Like where were all the the people pressing the panic button about the state of baseball ownership on the flip side? But now all of a sudden, now that they're spending the money and getting all the good players, now it's a problem. Um, as opposed to one of the two teams in the biggest baseball market in the world operating like the Oakland Athletics. Like that that wasn't a problem. But okay. So that's generally where I stand on this. Now I think that there's a like a larger nuanced discussion that we can have, especially with regards to like what does this mean for the long-term future of labor in baseball? Because I don't think that it, I don't think that other owners are looking around and saying, oh, Steve Cohen, the crazy uncle, he's just going to keep, keep doing this. Like, I think other owners are looking around and saying, fuck this guy. How do we put a stop to this? Yeah, no, fuck this guy. Or, or they're saying, this guy's making us look stupid right now, but we just have to weather that storm because we're going to use this as a cudgel to try to get a salary cap, honestly. But that that's all stuff that we can save for our conversation for, for the state of labor and baseball with Michael Bauman at the beginning of January. Um, the final thing I'll say before we before we bring Grant in is that this just feels like a uniquely 2020s story. You know? Like, living in this era where we hear everything broken the second that the agent knows about it, and so we know the Carlos Correa contract. We know the terms. We're hearing the beat by beat by beat of him doing his physical, him doing all of these things. And we're all reacting to it in the moment. And then a whole week later, we find out that, oh, maybe this contract is falling apart. Maybe they don't, maybe they don't feel as comfortable with the medical as they did before. Or maybe they're just trying to back out of this because they don't want to commit that money now. And they are having cold feet and second thoughts about this. Like, it feels completely unprecedented, but also completely modern at the same time. This this story that seems fake, but is somehow playing out in real life. I mean, the craziest part about it to me is that usually the Mets are on the other end of this, yeah, right? Maybe. Like, Lux usually it's going around. the other way. Lux turning around. It really all it is. Took was, all it took was a couple bill. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that this is bad karma for the Mets or good karma for the Mets? Like. Definitely, they're going to be like the villains of 2023, right? Because everybody fucking hates Carlos Correa, and the perception is going to be that they're tilting the balance of power and they're spending too much and it's not fair. And people are going to be rooting for them to fail. Now, I think tipping pitches people will be rooting for them to succeed because it's like, sure, give all the money to all the players and let's get all the good players, and that's fun. But I think the wider baseball world is going to be like, I want them to fail. Maybe. But I actually feel like there's going to be a decent portion of the baseball world that's like, fuck, I wish my owner was doing that. You know, well, like I yeah. like I feel like we're we're kind of at a point where I don't see a lot of hand wringing among fans about other teams ownership structure. You know, I think like like if anything, we would see Mets fans being like 
good God, what are all these long-term contracts that we're signing, all this, all the money that you know we owe these players now, like, et cetera. Obviously, that's that's not taking place. Mets fans are totally on board because why would you why would you not be? I I, I think we they probably this. I think they probably are the the villains, so to speak, but I think not in the way that say that the Yankees are, you know, have played the role of the villains. It's certainly not the way the Astros played the role of of villains like you kind of it's like you may not like it but you kind of got to respect it i feel like that's where most baseball fans will kind of land (laughs) yeah i think you're right i mean the yankees i think everything about them is the evil empire it's not just that they were spending the most money like that is not really why people hated the yankees because people don't hate the dodgers the way that they hate the yankees it's everything with the yankees it's the Mm -hmm. exceptionalism it's the pinstripes it's the vaunted history that they can't stop talking about. Fucking it's facial the, hair. The like. facial hair, the clean cut, the Yankee way, the fan base is smarter and better than everybody else. Like, it's it's everything with the Yankees. And honestly, like, the Mets are just spending a lot. Like, the, their fan base is not anyone. And not to say that the Yankees fan base is like this homogenous fan base that all feel this way and all act this way, but that is the perception of the Yankees. There is a Yankee fan vision, and everybody knows what that Yankee fan looks and acts like. I feel like there's less of that with the Mets. Like, we're all sad and weird. But, like, it feels less Death Star-y, even though I saw some people compare it, even though I saw some people dubbing this Mets roster as building the Death Star. It feels less Death Star-y and less the evil empire marches on than when the Yankees were doing it. Maybe that's just my bias, but I don't know. I feel like anecdotally that's true. No, I definitely think you're right about that. Um, it feels a little less callous, maybe than than when the Yankees did it, and and a lot of the players that they're signing are like guys who it's act- actively hard to dislike, right? People have their feelings about Correa and, and whatever, but you're not going to actively root against Francisco Lindor, right? A guy like Justin Berlander, you, you are maybe, you maybe a put on a list, yeah, uh, yeah list. right, exactly. Like I, it's a team full of. By and large, pretty likable dudes, which really I think goes a long way. Yeah, it's gonna be weird though. Yeah, it's gonna be really weird for me personally to be like, all right, time to get, time to, time to buckle in and really root hard for Justin Verlander and Carlos Correa. I know, I know. <laughs> you know, well, like, I, that's so strange. That that is my kind of lingering question: is like, where does Mets fandom go from here? Right? Because kind of the one thing you guys had was like, we're sad because our team is a joke. Oh, right. So you're saying this is an identity crisis for me. Well, I'm not saying you you personally, but more broadly speaking. Where I don't want us to does, go is I don't want us to like, like disappear now. No, you know? no, never. <laughs> what I don't want us to do is become Yankees fans. I don't want us to be like, yeah, what's up, broke boys? Yeah, you can't afford it. We're better than you. Like, I don't want us to do that. Right. I want to Unless it's like, ironically. <laughs> yeah, right. Unless it's ironic. That's my whole that's my whole spiel. Right. I want to act like someone who is very having a very lucky day at a casino you know i want to just be like i'm i'm gonna keep hitting at the blackjack just gonna ride the wave. this is all house money baby i'm riding the wave until Mm -hmm. steve cohen gets fully taken down by the sec we're just living it up you know until the sun rises and i have to step outside and i'm i'm drunk at 8 a.m in vegas we're good to go (laughs) they're gonna keep bringing me free drinks and people are smoking cigs indoors my proposal to Steve Cohen is given all the money he has floating around does he have any interest 
partnering to set up a shell company that, say, could purchase a certain West Coast team that has been likened to the Mets uh, right. by you and I mm. in the past. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a thought. I think what we should spend the next year of the podcast doing is is scouring the world for another Steve Cohen. You know, like ident- we will go line by line on the Forbes 500 richest people list or whatever the hell. Just fuck send like cold emails. <laughs> we'll, just, <laughs> like, we'll go on there. And would we'll you be like, like the Oakland A's? <laughs> how are you on a scale of one to Steve Cohen? What are you? You know, how willing would you be to give 41 year old Justin Verlander $43 million? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's, uh, let's go talk to Grant Risby about the Giants angle of all of this. Alex, what a day for Grant Brisby to make his tipping pitches debut. Grant, hello. Welcome to the show. You're you're here to do something else that listeners will hear in four or five days from now. But in this timeline right now, you're here to talk about Carlos Correa. But but first things first, we're so happy to have you here. We're both such big fans, longtime fans. So so thank you for gracing us with your presence on the show. Absolutely. I've got a couple things to get off my chest. So this is the uh, appropriate venue for it. Yeah, this is the place to do that. <laughs> How, how's your headspace? How are you feeling? It's good. I mean, like, look, it, maybe this is uh, rude to some people, but I went to bed last night with kind of like chuckling to myself because like it's it's like the Darren Ravel tweet like I feel bad for the fan base but this is <laughs> tremendous content um it, look there's the, it's it's a fascinating story unlike any I have covered or will cover uh this is kind of one of a kind experience so uh great content great content uh it is funny actually I am laughing <laughs> <laughs> can you take us back 24 hours so we're recording this on on Wednesday evening around 5 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, 24 hours ago, there was, you know, the Giants had canceled the Carlos Correa press conference or had postponed the Carlos Correa press conference and people were speculating and the Susan Slusters of the world, the very plugged in folks were saying, it's pointless to speculate at this point, which misses the purpose of, of fandom and Twitter. Um, but 24 hours ago, it seemed like one of those those good jokes that you make. Like, I, I tweeted, Carlos Correa, you are a New York Met, when I saw that the Giants had canceled the press conference. And little did I know that he would actually become a New York Met. So did you think that there was actually fire there with that smoke? Or were you kind of just like, nah, this is weird process bullshit? The, the latter. I thought for sure it was, uh, ah, this is just uh, dotting the I's, crossing the T's. They had this. Uh, maybe they found something that was legitimate uh, in the medicals and it did give them concern, but it would end up being 13 years, $350 million after incentives that were easily attainable, 50 games played in year 10 or something weird. Like they would, they would mm-hmm. go over, they're not just going to take the contract away and pivot to Brandon Drury, right? Like they, they're going to do well, how this. How could they to, pivot to Brandon Drury? The, well, the, the Angels lock that up. Come on. Yeah. I mean, not even that. But so it's, I thought, okay, this is just one of those things. It's uh, maybe someone has COVID, maybe this, that. And then, as the day went on, I started hearing, okay, it's definitely not a COVID thing. It really is a medical thing with Correa. And then nothing. And, you know, I'm not exactly uh, 
a journalist, I'm using scare quotes there. Uh, I am a columnist, which is I get to make things up, but I do talk to the journalists who actually are trying to get the story from Giants ownership and the front office, and they were locked down more than they ever have been. Uh, They weren't even going off the record. They weren't doing background. They weren't responding. It was just radio silence, which is not necessarily like them. And that's when it started to get a little weird. But you just don't think a week later that the the deal's actually in jeopardy. You just there's no framework for that. There's no uh, it's bananas. And uh, so last night when I uh, saw the tweets, it was funny. It was funny to me, but uh, <laughs> definitely wasn't expected. Well, so that's what I was going to ask. So you were able to sort of experience it in real time, right? Because this broke at like, you know, I, I think it was a little after midnight on the on the West Coast and and obviously a little after three on the East Coast. So Bobby, Bobby had texted Wait, me like, like can I 10 confess minutes. something? Can I confess something as you're talking about the timing of this? I was yeah. actually awake when this broke, but my phone was on do not disturb. <laughs> I, <laughs> and I just kind didn't of figured check because you, you texted me like five minutes before <laughs> and I responded. I was like, dude, and you didn't respond. And I was like, God damn it. So I what was what was it like sort of experiencing that uh in in real time as the sort of drip of information comes out? You have an ominous Heyman tweet and then like nothing for 10 minutes. Uh you know, it's the way I actually found out was uh, there is a, uh, a kid of uh, who recently graduated high school. Uh, he used to work with uh, my wife and uh, just he, he enjoys talking baseball. And so he'll text me every once in a while. And he texted me, uh, hey, uh, is this Heyman tweet for real? And it went, what? <laughs> so I opened Twitter and it's, you know, my oh, the phone is catching on fire as I'm trying to scroll. And I found the Heyman tweet. And it, well, that's how I found out. Just a, a random text at, like you say, close to midnight uh, uh, from, you know, from a personal friend who, it, it, it was funny to me. Funny, like, I'll just keep saying, I'm, I am the the emoji that uh, Elon Musk keeps using. I am the <laughs> tilted, crying, laughing emoji in real life. Right. The one that definitely means you actually are right, laughing, yeah. to be clear. I'm, yeah, so, I'm sure. so laughing. Yeah. When you use that, you are just laughing. <laughs> Grant, you mentioned Giants ownership. Um, you know, some people have been saying like, oh, the injury that they found must have been cold feet because they didn't want to commit this $350 million to him after sitting on it and thinking about it and hearing input from the, you know, the multiple people who have power within Giants ownership. Like they're, Larry Bear is their control person, but Charles Johnson is the majority owner. So, I, of course, you don't really know the answer to this and no one really knows the answer to this just quite yet. But how much of it do you think is them being genuinely concerned that Carlos Correa is not going to be able to play baseball versus, hey, maybe we're not this organization that wants to commit this 13 years and $350 million? It's got to be the latter. Before you, before you get to the, the part with, with the term sheet, you're not doing the official physical, but you're reviewing records. And I could almost have some suspension of disbelief when it comes to all this. If the Giants general manager is was not Pete Putella, who just came from the Astros, who has presumably had a real good long look at Correa's uh, medical information, and he used it, I'm sure, in discussions on whether the Astros should extend Correa. Uh, he is aware of all this, has been for years. And yet the Giants were still pursuing Correa to the point where he signed a freaking term sheet. 
Uh, that to me says that this this has to have come from ownership down, that this has to have come from someone who just said, you know what? Yeah, no, no. And that is wild to me. I mean, the other alternative is that uh, Correa really wanted to be a Met, made that known. Scott Boris says, well, you know, maybe maybe Scott Boris didn't even tell him of the Mets interest until it was too late. Uh, then if you're the Giants, you can maybe convince him to stay, but you want to convince a guy who doesn't really want to be there like that gets messy. But if it is that idea of ownership saying, you know what, uh, figure out, a, uh, yeah, let's just get out of this. The, uh, buyer's remorse. That is Mickey Mouse stuff. And boy, the fans are mad. Boy, are they mad. Uh, talk radio is just, uh, it's funny. It's funny to me. It's all this is funny. Have I said that before? It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, initially I, I, I heard about the quote unquote, you know, problem with the medical or whatever. And my first thought was, well, Steve Cohen clearly wrote him a doctor's note, right? That said, <laughs> my back has like an ouchie or something like that. And then he, you know, jumped ship and and went to the Mets. But I, you're right that it does feel like organizational malpractice if if that edict really did come from above, especially knowing how in they were on Aaron Judge this offseason, right? Like this is kind of, they've now gone 0 for 2 on, on the big deal. So like... I, you know, I we don't do very much like actual baseball analysis on this show, but like, what now? You know, for the Giants, like, kind of, it feels like the the tenor of their off season has now shifted quite dramatically. Yeah, it's going to be more platoons. It's going to be uh, <laughs> you're going to be mixing and matching. It's going to be uh, Austin Slater and Mike Yastrzemski and Mitch Haniger, and you get Sean Manaya and Ross Stripling, and the Giants have done well with pitchers. Uh, but there's no way back from this. I mean, what are you going to do? Trade for Brian Reynolds? Like, that's not going to sell season tickets. You're not, it, it felt like the Giants were sort of promising a different offseason. They they couldn't officially promise because it's always up to the players. It's up to Aaron Judge. I think Aaron Judge knew from the start of the offseason he wanted to be a Yankee more than anything else. Uh, but if a Could player is amenable, couldn't be yeah. <laughs> boring, vanilla, boring. You know, there was that idea. He maybe wants to play for his uh, hometown team. Like it was a, it was that a is sexy never kind true. of narrative. That is just never true. Like, like, oh, Kevin Durant's going to sign with the Wizards. Who knows? <laughs> Steph Curry going to Charlotte. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I get that. But it was still, it was like, you know, it was a narrative you can kind of believe. Um, but it was always up to these players. And if the Giants couldn't get these players because they decided on uh, they wanted to play in New York, they wanted to play here, they wanted to do that, whatever, what can you do? But they were going to give their best effort. They weren't going to be outbid for Aaron Judge. They weren't going to whiff on a free agent because of money. And it feels like all that is just thrown in the trash. And it's a worse offseason than an offseason filled of, oh, we tried, but we came in second and it pushed us past our you know, comfortability zone. And, you know, we just couldn't offer that 13th year. You know, we tried, we really tried. Like that off season was the worst case scenario in November. And now it somehow got worse. It's somehow they managed to beat the worst case scenario. It's actually impressive. So, um, Brandon Crawford just slots back into shortstop now, right? Yeah, and like <laughs> apparently the Giants didn't really talk to him throughout this whole process, which again is bananas. Uh, that seems like malpractice. And now it's like, 
uh, we were we were kidding about all the other stuff. You know, like it's they have to turn to a franchise fan favorite and be like, sorry about all that uh, hubbub. You know, hope you're ready for the next right. season. Yeah, here's a here's a year's supply of free hair gel for you, Brandon. We're really sorry <laughs> about everything that happens. Yeah, keep looking wet, kid. Keep looking wet. <laughs> Um, Grant Brisby, thank you so much. Listeners will hear you back on the show for a different segment, a, a different concept in just a few days. But we, we really appreciate your, your insight on this chaotic day. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Okay, thank you to Grant. Thank you to the listeners for listening to this bonus episode, this reaction episode. Uh, I mean, I just felt like it's not every day that your team takes a 13-year letter of intent, 13-year, $350 million letter of intent, and rips it into shreds right in front of Larry Bear and signs Carlos Correa away. So might as well do a pod, you know? We're already recording with Grant for the future episode that listeners have not heard yet. Yeah, right place, right time. Um, I, I want to amend our our conversation at the beginning of this podcast where we suggested that we should we should find another Steve Cohen out there just by going down the Forbes list. Um, I I realize the problem with that is we're very quickly um going to hit someone who uh, is kind of known for making rash purchases of entire <laughs> corporations. Um, and has shown that maybe he doesn't have the capacity to fully carry out the duties needed no. uh, for that sort of thing. No, 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 no. That's the Chad and the Virgin right there. Come on, don't disrespect <laughs> Steve Cohen. Like, come on. Did you listen to Batting Around? Where they where they talked about this? Where they talked about Elon Musk buying the A's and moving them to Austin? I, no, I didn't. But, but well, like, they uh, shouted you out by name and they said that you were in hell listening to that segment. So you really got to abs- go listen to it. Absolutely was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that really is the upside down version of Cohen buying the Mets. That's not really a, a reality I'd like to entertain very much. He doesn't know what baseball is. I, you know, it's clear he didn't really know what Twitter was and that didn't stop him from spending like $44 a, billion. Like a power dollars. user then. You know, like if it doesn't have like a, if it doesn't have like a coding stack that he can pretend to understand, then he doesn't want to buy it. <laughs> this is a digression. <laughs> hey, buddy, have you heard that baseball's played on spreadsheets now anyway? I don't know. He could get behind it. <laughs> I'll continue to scour the Forbes list. How about that? <laughs> I'll find you an owner. I'm going to get... There's sort of like that meme of the guy sitting outside of the store where the cat is stuck in there. I'm going to get right. you out of there, Alex. <laughs> yeah, all I want for Christmas is <laughs> John Fisher to sell the team. <laughs> Don't talk about your close personal friend like that. I know. He's going to buy us a nation state for Christmas. Um, <laughs> okay. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will be back in uh, just a few days with bringing back Grant Brisby for our What Ifs episode. We'll see you then. Show me how you do it. I don't promise you. I promise that I'll run away with you. I'll run away with you. Hello, everybody. I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. Tipping pitches. So we'll see you next week. See ya!